behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was loaded. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was Charlotte's lead pastor. I mean, short (laughs) in stature. Love you, Pastor Brian. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I, I love this word, I must stay. Not I'd like to stay, not it'd be cool, not it'd be convenient. This has to happen. I must stay at your home. So he made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained. Who complained? The crowd complained. Oh, can I preach for a second? The crowd will love you as long as you're on the same level as them. But if you ever have a desire to climb higher and to see something different, you better believe people are going to start to complain, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore four times. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was Lost. I want to preach a message today called The Chosen Perspective. The Chosen, The Chosen Perspective. Father God, we are grateful God, that we're building. God, we're building our faith. We're building our family. We're building our lives. We're building this church on your love, on your purpose, on your will for our lives. And God, today is just one more brick, God, to this miracle that you're doing. So have your way, speak, transform, and we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout, amen, amen and amen, and amen. I, um, I spent a lot of my life on airplanes, and uh, if you travel a lot for work, you know that the first few times you fly, it's really cool. It's like we're going somewhere. We're, 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 you, you, you know, you, know you, you don't fly much when you get to the airport like two and a half hours before. You can all see the people because when I walk up to the terminal and it's like three minutes before they board the plane, like they're taking a nap. They've been there so long. After about 25 times of that, you know how to time it where you walk up right as they're closing the door and you're like, oh, hold on. I'm the one you're looking for. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I'm traveling, preaching, conferences, all this other good stuff. And, and, and you kind of get to the place where you're just, you're just over it. It's just like, man, if I could just be home in my bed, I'd be happy, happy, happy. But yet it's, it's you know, there's pros, there's cons. But as much as I fly... There is one part of kind of the whole experience that it never gets old for me. And it's the moment when I'm sitting in the plane and it starts off on the runway and it begins to lift up into the air. Now, 
based on how life has been after this uh, interesting pandemic we've had. Not one plane has left on time since 2020. (laughs) Everything's been delayed. I've been running through airports like a track star. And it's like that one moment of just peace. I actually like it the best when it's like torrential rain. And you're sitting in this plane and it's raining. And, and I always get upset when I don't have a window seat because I want the person to open the window. Because first of all, I want to make sure we get off. And, <laughs> and it takes off and it's pouring, it's raining. And, and sometimes a pilot will get on the microphone and said, hey, it's going to be a little bumpy until we get above the weather. So you take off and you see the rain coming and everything's dark and everything's cloudy and and you begin to lift up and you you begin to see a mile and then 10 miles and next thing you know, you're able to see as far as you can see the entire city. Then you break into the clouds and I'm telling y'all, this has happened like 25 plus times and it still blows my mind every single time that after about three or four minutes of that plane ascending, you break through the clouds. It is torrential rain on the ground. And the sun is bright and shining above those clouds. Look, judge me if you want. I'm sitting there like a three-year-old. Wow. Because no matter how often it takes place, it's still jarring that my reality here on earth is not the reality everywhere. Just because it's pouring rain where I'm standing right now, doesn't mean the sun is not shining. Just what, 15,000 feet above my head? And if I had something that can transport me from this vantage point to that vantage point, watch this, everything changes. Could it be that for your perspective and your circumstance to change, nothing on the ground needs to change? Your vantage point, your perspective, the angle that you're viewing it from needs to change. Luke chapter 19, we come across this. Uh, it's not a top 10 Bible story. It ain't like it's David and Goliath, but uh, Zacchaeus, he's pretty known, especially if you grew up in church. In any Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sick. Yeah, some of y'all grew up. <laughs> the Baptist is coming out of you. Put it back down. Anyway, Zacchaeus, the Bible tells us, was a chief tax collector. That, that means he wasn't just a tax collector. He was over the tax collectors. He, he, he was over a region. It was his responsibility on behalf of the Roman government to, to siphon uh, <laughs> taxes out of their subjects. He, he was a man of great influence. The Bible went out of its way to let us know not only did he have a lot of influence, but he also had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of money. A lot of people knew who he was. He had a lot of power. And the Bible says, but yet he still sought something. He had all of these things, but he was still saying, I'm missing something. I've got to see if there is more to life. I've heard about Jesus. Let me see if I can get a glimpse of him. Here's what you need to know as a believer. It does not matter how much influence a person has. It does not matter how much wealth a person has. And by the way, influence and wealth are not bad things. Somebody say amen. 
But until I've gotten a glimpse of Jesus, there will always be something missing in my life. There is a God encounter that fulfills in a way that no accomplishment and no luxury could ever fulfill. Can, 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 I, can I give you some else? There, there, there's some Christians who've seen enough Jesus to be saved, but you haven't seen enough Jesus for your life to be fulfilled. And I'm not going to talk about you. You know how I do. I'm just going to talk about myself. You can jump under the bus with me. I've discovered in those seasons of my life where I'm longing for something more. It's because there's a God encounter that I'm lacking. There's a part of him, a piece of him, a revelation of him that I have yet to see and hear me. A bigger house and a different title will not fulfill. It's not until I see Jesus on a completely different level. So Zacchaeus runs and, and he hears that Jesus is coming, but, but as the scripture tells us, Zacchaeus was, was short of stature and he, he could not see above the crowd. So Zacchaeus said, I've got to climb up to a different vantage point, a different perspective so that I can see something that I've never seen before. Here's what Zacchaeus realized. If I don't climb up, my only perspective of Jesus is going to be what the crowd tells me. There's so many people that have not seen Jesus for themselves. All they know is what the crowd told them. And when you live your relationship with God based on what the crowd tells you, it really determines what crowd you're in. So some people are stuck in a religious crowd. The religious crowd says that our relationship with Jesus is based on impressing him and performing for him. That Jesus is this, this unreasonable, impersonal deity that, that, that is only judging our actions. So, so, hey, don't say that and don't do that and don't go there and make sure you stand up straight and dress properly and make sure you tithe and make sure you pray and make sure you do this. and Oh, you messed up. God's angry at you. If you see Jesus through a religious crowd, your faith will always be performance-based. So when I do good... I think God's pleased with me and I expect good. When I do bad, I think God's disgusted with me and I expect judgment. It's because you're seeing him through your crowd and not seeing him for yourself. Some people, their crowd is a worldly crowd. And because their crowd is a worldly crowd, it has a worldly perspective of Jesus. You... 70% of America says that they are Bible-believing Christians. The devil is a lie. <laughs> Ain't no way this place is just jacked up and 70% of y'all are surrendered to Jesus. That... It's cultural. It's, you indicate a box. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this. So I must be This. And when my crowd is worldly, my perspective of Jesus is that there is a Jesus compartment in my life. So that when I go to church, when I pray, when I, when I do my Jesus thing, that's my Jesus thing. But my Jesus thing doesn't interact or affect any other aspect of my life. 
it, it, it's compartmentalized. I, I see Jesus as a Sunday Jesus. I don't see Jesus as a how I interact with my spouse Jesus. I don't see Jesus how I, how I have my ambitions, my goals, how I manage my money, how I raise my kids, how I live my life. His place is here and the rest of it is up to me to do what I want to do because my crowd is worldly. Some of us, our crowd are not people, our crowd is pain. And we're crowded by the stress and the worry and the anxiety and the pain in our lives. And hear me, when pain and stress is crowding you, your perspective of Jesus is that he doesn't care. Think about the disciples. They're in this boat. The storm is raging around them. Jesus is in the boat. And they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? You know, it's really easy to talk about the disciples because they're in the Bible and we ain't in the boat drowning. But like, dude, really? He's in the boat. I know y'all didn't have the Bible to read because y'all is the Bible. But I read the Bible. You know what the Bible does not say? It does not say that Jesus is the lamb that died in a boating accident. (laughs) That's what it doesn't say. It says he's the lamb that was slain. He going to die, but he ain't going to die like this. So you're fine. But their eyes were so locked on the storm that they were in that their perspective of Jesus was altered. Zacchaeus said, I'm tired of seeing Jesus through other people's perspective. I've got to see him for myself. Hear me, whether you've never surrendered your life to Jesus or you've been following Jesus for 60 plus years, your perspective of Jesus dictates your entire life. That's why he constantly asked his disciples, I know what the nation said, but who do you? Say that I am. I know your grandma said that he was good. And I know your grandpa said that he was good. And I know your sister said that he was good. But I'm asking, who do you say that I am? Zacchaeus said, I got status. I got wealth. I heard other people's opinion. And it wasn't good enough for me. I've got to see Jesus for myself. I just, I just picture this kind of stumpy little man. I mean, if you're short, you can't climb that well, right? He's trying to make his way up this sycamore tree. And he finally gets up in the tree and he's looking around and he can't find Jesus. And then he hears his name called. It's not out there. It's not out there. It's not out there. It's, it's right below his feet. And it's the one that he was looking for. The problem is Zacchaeus didn't realize that the one he was looking for was looking for him. And he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, I need you to come down. Because before the beginning of time, before you woke up this morning, I had already made the decision that I was coming to your house today. Here is how Zacchaeus' vantage point changed. And church, here's the whole mask off, the, the identity that I need you to embrace. It was in that day that Zacchaeus received the vantage point of the chosen. It was in that day that he realized I'm not average, I'm not random, I'm not invisible, I'm not rejected, I'm not overlooked. I have been handpicked by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You, somebody say that's me. Come on, somebody, somebody, look, look, look. You, you ever seen your name on like a wall or something like that? Or just look at somebody say, my name's in the Bible. Come on, tell somebody, tell somebody, tell somebody. My, 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 all them verses, all them billions of people, my name's in here. You are a, what's that word, Columbia? Chosen. Chosen generation. It was harder for God to choose you than it is to pick a meal at Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Golly, that menu's the size of the Bible. 29,000 different options. God says, no, I choose you. So you're a chosen generation. You're royalty. You're set apart to hold my holy things, a, a holy nation, my own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous union church. Here, here is my agonizing prayer that you would get a picture of yourself that you have been hand selected by God that he picked you, that he chose you, that he actually has an intention of using you in a personal manner. Because when you realize that you're chosen, everything changes. Write this down, write this down. First thought is this, my, my, my perspective is my pursuit. My perspective is my pursuit. Remember back in the day when we used to go Black Friday shopping? Nowadays, it's just go online. It's not even on the Friday after. It's just like whatever day. They just plan. Well, today's Black Friday. Here's the sale. I, I, I was never like a big like go to the store. But, but one Thanksgiving, me and my brothers, we decided we're going to do this, this, this Black Friday thing. So we go down to Best Buys and we get out there. We thought we were doing something because we got there at like four in the morning. It opened at like six. By the time we got there, the line was wrapped around the building. And I'm like, what in the world do they know that I don't know? And I even know this whole Black Friday, it's a whole hustle where it was. Now it's shut down. But there were people out there selling hot dogs, selling hot chocolate. I mean, Hustle Man was out there saying, you're going to be here for a few while. So you might as well buy my CDs, DVDs, got whatever you need, precious. I'm like, what is going on? So we stayed in line for about two hours, and then they start letting people in 15 at a time. And we get, we're inching forward, we're inching over. We finally get to the place where it's hour 15 that they let in. The doors open. It's me and my two brothers. So there's three Chandlers and then 12 randos. <laughs> the doors open, and those 12 people take off running. I mean, you would think someone was chasing them. Me and my brothers kind of saunter in there. <laughs> kind of because we had come with a lot of money. <laughs> kind of because we didn't, we didn't quite know what was going on. Next thing I know, I see little old ladies with 85-inch TVs on their back. Just <laughs> people with... 12 different Xboxes in their hand. And what we did not know is there were actually real sales and discounts and door prizes. And our pursuit was dictated by our perspective. How hard we were running was based on our understanding 
of the situation. Second Samuel chapter 6, there's this story of when the presence of God is brought back into the city. The Bible says that the king at that time, David, went before the presence. And y'all, he, 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 he thought he was at Mardi Gras. This man's dancing, clothes are coming off, he's celebrating, he's like, the, the presence of the Lord is here. Now, you, you, you got to put it in some context. When the presence of the Lord wasn't there, they were taking L's. They were losing over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know. You got to ask David when you get to heaven. I don't know if he was super excited about the presence or he was just tired of losing. But he said, God's presence is here. And he's dancing and he's literally the Bible says he danced so hard that his kingly robes fell off. And his wife, McCall, somebody say vantage point, was up in the window looking down at him. She wasn't on the ground worshiping, celebrating the presence of God. She, 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 she was up at a different vantage point. Be careful when somebody else makes you feel uncomfortable for your pursuit of God. You don't know what their vantage point is. She looks at him. She said, oh, I feel like Claire Huxtable. You had big fun down there with the wretched's big fun look at the king today just just dance right out of his clothes all the young girls in the city will be laughing at you as you made a fool of yourself over the presence of god you go to that church every sunday you give your hard earned money to the kingdom of God? You let some outdated book tell you how to live your life? How antiquated. And David said him a call. Woman, I added that, but it just felt right. <laughs> it was before the Lord. Watch this. Who? Come on, yell it back at me. Who? Instead of your father, now I got personal. Pause, leave the verse up. By the way, God chose her father. Her father turned his back on God and he was no longer the chosen one. And he said, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and you ain't seen nothing yet. I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own New International Stephen version. Woman, you have no idea who I am and how I do not deserve to be the king. I come from the smallest tribe, the smallest family in the smallest tribe. I'm the youngest in my family. My dad didn't even think to invite me to the party where they were choosing people but yet God held up history just to find me just to use me just to choose me you think this little dance is too much wait till you see 
David said, my pursuit of God is based on my understanding that I've been chosen by God, not because of who I am, but in spite of the intensity that I go after God is directly connected to my awareness of the fact that he chose me. And let me just help you out here. If you're trying to win a game and you're picking your starting five, this ain't the guy you choose. I can run, can't shoot, can't dribble. I got hops like a soccer player. Soccer players don't jump. And can I help you out? You ain't nobody's first choice either. Zacchaeus was used to hearing his name called. He just wasn't used to hearing it with no expletives before or after. Because you see, Zacchaeus was Jewish, working for the Romans. He was of the oppressed people, working for the oppressor. And it his, was his job to extract unrighteous taxes out of his own people. And he was so good at ripping people off that he was no longer just a normal tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And it was common, and as he said at the end of the story, how he was giving back what he stole, that they would lie to people about what they owed. So if you owed 50 denarii, they would tell you you owed 100. They would have you give 100, 50 would go to the Roman Empire, 50 would go into his pocket, and you knew you were being robbed, but you couldn't do anything about it because he had the army backing his authority. Zacchaeus knew he was a thief. He knew that he was unrighteous. And here is Jesus saying, I want to come to your house. I want to sit at your table. I want to, it'll mess you up when you realize how much he loves you. Something changes when you realize, based on my story, based on my performance, based on my experience, based on things that some people will never know, I'm the one you overlook. I'm the one you talk about. I'm the one that you turn your nose up at. I'm not the one that you sit down at the table. You say, I want to sit in your house. And I want everybody to know that I'm with him. What does your pursuit of the presence of God look like? Does it look like you've caught the awareness that I'm chosen by the Almighty? How do I pursue God? By reading my word. By worshiping him, by fellowshipping with other believers, by spending time with him in prayer. Does my prayer life look like I'm blown away that he picked me? Or does my prayer life look like, well, of course he did. Doesn't he know who I am? 
Does my diving into God's word, does, does my attendance of church, does my, does my worship look like? I can never get over the fact that, that he chose me. That he, that he knows me. That he, that he wants me. Second thing is this, write this down. My, my sight line defines my suffering. My sight line defines my suffering. Here's the whole thesis, that when you have an awareness that you're chosen, every circumstance in your life is instantly altered. <laughs> got bad news and I got bad news. What you want to do first? Bad news. Bad news is you're going to suffer. You want the worst news? After that, you're going to suffer real bad. All right, amen. Have a great week, guys. Take care. Let's... I think one of the problems with the church is we haven't taught people how to suffer well. And we miss the fact that we serve a suffering Savior. Like, like part of the essence of who Jesus is is that he suffered for all of humanity. And then we walk around like, I want to be just like Jesus. Hold up. Do you know what you're asking? Because a lot of who Jesus is, is suffering. Su suffering is just a part of life. Being a Christian does not exclude you from, matter of fact, as a pastor, I'd, I'd make a case that it actually intensifies. There, there's minor suffering. There's suffering, it ain't gonna kill you, but you know, it stinks. It's like, I hate my job. It's still pain. Not me. I love my job, but <laughs> sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I hate my job. I hate my boss, but paychecks come first and 15th. I'm suffering. I ain't dying. I'm suffering. This, this, this child that's walked away from Christ is breaking my heart. I'm suffering. I ain't dying. They may, but I ain't. <laughs> I'm suffering. But then there's this major suffering. There's, there's sickness, there's, there's mental torment, there's attacks, there's, there, there's pain that is unspeakable. And one of the things that I know at a church this size, every single Sunday, there's at least somebody that's going through something. And what I've discovered in, in the midst of suffering is that my perspective dictates how I suffer. There's something about suffering that, 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 that you can get into the mindset that it's a life sentence. That, that this is all I'm going to know. This is all I'm going to see. This, this is all there's going to be. This is the end of the story. And you, you, you kind of you just sign up for, well, this is life. Then you start, you know, misquoting scripture. To live with Christ, to die is gain. No longer I will live. Christ lives in me. You know, I just want to know him. Fellowship in his suffering. You just kind of take this victim, fatalist, abandoned mindset. That this is life. And this is all it's going to be. Esther chapter 4 verse 14 says this. If you remain completely silent 
in your suffering. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from somewhere else. But you and your father's house will perish. I love this. But who knows? Maybe. It's not guaranteed, but maybe, just maybe, you have come to this moment of suffering for a divine moment for such a time as this. This is Mordecai talking to his niece, Esther. There was a genocide that was going on in the land and Esther was actually married to the king of that land. And, 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 and Esther, Esther thought because she had influence that she would avoid suffering. And Mordecai said, don't get it twisted. They know you're a Jew too. When they die, you'll die. And he said, you don't even have to suffer well because if God doesn't use you, he'll find somebody else to use. But just know that you and your family's future, hear me, I'm preaching, dictated by how you suffer. Could it be that God put you in the middle of this situation for such a time as this? Now, move slow. Why would God put me in the middle of suffering? Well, why did he put Esther there? Because there were millions of people that if she did not use her experience of suffering, they would never find their freedom. But because she experienced what they experienced and could see pain the way they saw pain, but yet because of where God positioned them, God says, I've got millions of people counting on you getting out of this. I've got grandbabies that are counting on you beating this. I've got a community that is counting on you not throwing in your faith, not throwing in the towel, not giving up. I've got people riding on you in this spot. I, I say this all the time. My mom passed away in 2013, the second year of this church. It is the most painful thing that has ever happened to me in my life. And it is the best thing that has ever happened to me as a pastor. Because prior to it, when someone would go through pain, my response would be biblical, yes, but flippant. He's close to the brokenhearted. He'll comfort you in your time of need. You know, sometimes, just because it's Bible doesn't mean it's helpful. Look at your neighbor and say, timing, 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 timing. No. Man, I just went through this. Jesus wept. But it's after going through pain and seeing Jesus in that. Can I just be real? My anointing increased. My understanding of who he is. I wouldn't wish suffering on anybody, but I know everybody's going to go through it. And hear me, if you go through it and don't get stuck in it, there is a miracle on the other side guaranteed. God said, I will never allow you to go through something that you don't see a supernatural harvest on the other side. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, and being found in appearance as man, Jesus himself humbled himself 
himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord of all. Quick question, when was Jesus' name elevated? After he suffered. Why would God the Father let his son go through that? Because he knew that the pain wouldn't kill him. It did, but it didn't. And the mere, here's what I have to understand that when I'm chosen, when I'm chosen by God, there is always purpose for me on the other side of this pain. And because there's purpose for me on the other side of this pain, this simply means I can't die in this pain. I can't be taken out in this pain because I've been chosen by God. And can I help you out? I wasn't chosen for my story to end here. So guess what? It may not be looking good. It may not be looking great. It may not be awesome, but there's purpose on the other side. Here's the disciples crying in the boat. Jesus, you don't care. We're about to drown because they didn't understand that Jesus had purpose on the other shore. And because there's purpose on the other shore, you can't die here. That's why Paul said this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's working. Somebody, look, at, look at somebody say, it's working, it's working, it's working. It's, it's, yeah, I just, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not a baker, I'm not a cook, but you, you, you ever been stirring something you got to stir for a long time? Maybe you're making roux for a gumbo. Maybe you're putting yeast in a bread or whatever. Maybe you're stirring and you're stirring. And you're like, I don't see anything. I don't see. But a real chef will say, nah, it's working. It's working. It's working. You, you ever been a little kid and your mom making a cake and you, you put your face up on the, on the oven? You're like, I don't see anything. It still looks soggy. still look, I ain't gross. She's like, just leave it. It's working. It's working. Y'all didn't grow up around chefs. I can tell that. That's okay. When I'm going through pain, I'm just like, ah, oh, this ain't fair. But the perspective of the chosen, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working. Don't you know that there's a miracle on the other side of this? I'm trying my uh, best to preach this message as transparently as possible without giving away too much information. There's some stories that I can't yet tell. But just know every time the church explodes in growth, it's preceded by a crazy attack of the enemy. People, people, people man, you, you may not know. Sean, you come out and play one land this play. The Charlotte launch is the fastest growing launch and the largest launch in the organization that we're a part of. Everybody's coming. How, how, how did how that happen? How did what you do? Tell me about your system. Tell me about your, tell me about your website. What did you do? And I say, hey, we got a cool website, but it wasn't a website. How do, we got some amazing leaders, but wasn't that? Growth track? Go to growth track. People stay if you go to growth track. It wasn't growth track. It was that Pastor Brian Bullock suffered well for years. The Bishop Rollins and Pastor Ron. Pastor Jimmy and Irene and Pastor Zion and myself and leaders suffered years that you wouldn't even know about. Came up with sickness in the body preaching that God is a healer. God says, now that you've suffered well, now I'm going to reward you. And everybody's confused about where the reward came from. 
because you weren't there. I don't even know why I got stuck here because this ain't the message. But when you have this perspective of I am the chosen of the Lord, he knows me, he's called me, he set me apart for such a time as this, you realize that anything that is not God's best is simply preparing me for God's Last thing is this, write this down, because I know you people, y'all, hey, Pastor, you said there was three points, you only gave me two. I, I need my third point, Pastor. What's the third point? I mean, God moved. I don't care that God moved. I need my third point. Okay, here's your third point. You ready? My altitude alters my ambition. My altitude alters my ambition. I, I, was, I was unpacking this word chosen, and I don't know if there's an antonym for chosen, but if I'm not chosen, what am I, unchosen? No, you're overlooked. The opposite of being chosen is being overlooked. Or worse, the opposite of being chosen is being rejected. And what I've discovered, believer or not, Christian or not, people who don't know that they're chosen by God, they walk around with the spirit of rejection. They walk around feeling like I've been overlooked. And what do people do when they've been overlooked? They do something to say, look at me, because I don't want to be overlooked. Come on now. So believe it or not, you don't know that you're chosen. Your life is built on how do I get attention? Some of us were raised in poverty, and we were told I was overlooked because I didn't have. So I'm going to get, so nobody will ever overlook me again. So my pursuit, how that's where the world is. How much that can I get so that I won't be overlooked? Because people only look at people who have. That's a spirit of rejection. Some people, you, you, you grew up in an atmosphere that told you you're overlooked because you're uneducated. If you would just get degrees and accolades and titles. And, and Some of you are told they overlook people that the world doesn't think is attractive. Or they overlook, and without even subconsciously, our pursuit is, I've got to grab something that makes somebody notice me. But when you realize the only person whose opinion matters picked me, I no longer have to fight to be noticed. And you know what happens when you don't want to be noticed? You get noticed. People start coming. Unbelievers coming. There's something about you. Everybody else is so desperate. And you're just, you're confident. You don't seem needy. You, I'm chosen. I'm called. I'm elected. And I know it. I love you, but I don't need you. I know who I am in him. Second Peter 1.10 says this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make sure that you know that you're chosen. Confirm your call. Make your election sure. For if you do these things, the Bible, says, the Bible said you'll never stumble. 
Man, life just feels like a fog. I just feel like I'm, I'm trying to figure out, trying to get my footing. Trying, trying. It's because you forgot that you're called. You forgot that the king elected you. You forgot that you've been handpicked by the creator of the universe for such a time as this. Father God, we're, we're grateful. God, that while we weren't thinking about you, God, you were thinking about us. God, you said you chose us. You, you pulled us out of the crowd. You, you set us apart. You, you made a decision that for some reason we were special to you. God, I pray in this moment that you would open our eyes to see that we are the chosen of the Lord. While we were sitting here with eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this message personal. Maybe you've been saved for 50 plus years. Would you be this stressed out if you knew that you were chosen of the Lord? Maybe if you'd be honest, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Well, he chose you. Not just that you would go to heaven, but that he would use you in a great way question is, how are you going to respond to that selection? Because the only proper response is, God, I give you all of me. If you're in here, if you're in Columbia, if you're UBC or Flowers, if you're watching online, you say, Pastor, if I'd be honest with you, I'm in the religious crowd. I know church. Or I'm in the worldly crowd. But I've never, never established my personal perspective of Jesus. I've never given him my life. Today's your day. Meet Jesus for yourself. Or if you find yourself, you say, Pastor, that's me. I, I need a personal relationship with the Lord. You can make that decision right where you are. Pray this prayer. Say, say Lord Jesus. So simple. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for dying on the cross, shedding your blood, so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes, everything that's undesirable about me, can be erased. In this moment, I choose you. I surrender. I give you my whole life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Columbia. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision? Somebody shout, I'm chosen.